We've got a series on um, Bible authority. How is Bible authority established and, and, and many different aspects of that. We've gotten through the first five preliminary lessons. Now we're going to get into <clears throat> a little bit more of the meat, I think. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 10, that's kind of going to be our our starting point today, 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 10, I want to read that. I'll go up a verse or so, but um, in verse 9, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, with all unrighteous uh, deception among those who perish because they do not receive the love of the truth uh, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they will believe a lie. I really believe at the end when we uh, are, are being judged, and I appreciate Andy's lesson this morning, is it's going to be uh, heart issues. It, it's, it's our heart and our attitude toward God's word and his scriptures I think are going to be key. Because either we love the truth or we don't. And the religious world is filled with, with and we're going to look at some of these aspects this morning, who think it's not a big deal. The Bible's a nice guide, but, you know, we, it's, it's, it's not a big deal not to follow it in every case. Um, God says, I'll let you believe that. I'll let you believe that in verse 11, and I'll send a strong delusion that you'll believe a lie, and it will cost you your soul. So I really believe, you know, what's the big deal about Bible authority? We're going to be judged by the Bible, and only by the Bible, and our attitude toward the Bible, and our love for it. I think that's going to be the big separator at the end. So we want to talk a little bit about that this morning. <clears throat> about... 220 years ago, uh, 
um, there was this great revival of uh, coming out of the Dark Ages where um, men in different countries, independently of one another, they didn't have the internet, and they certainly didn't text each other, and they were, uh, they were just upset with, with the way the religious world was being conducted. Um, there was a, a man by the name of Ulrich Zwingli who was in Switzerland, um, James O'Kelly in Ireland, Thomas Campbell and his son Alexander Campbell uh, in Scotland, uh, Barton W. Stone from Kentucky, David Lipscomb, around the 1900s, 1890s to 1900s, about 100 years later, picked up that mantle. And they had this, came up with this way of saying it, that <clears throat> we're going to speak where the Bible speaks. We're going to be silent where the Bible is silent. We're going to call Bible things by Bible names. And we're going to do Bible things in Bible ways. We don't need any creeds, confessionals, disciplines, manuals, uh, councils, and so on. And they said, what, we, what we're experiencing for the last thousand years, roughly, uh, in, that, in that time in the world, was not what the Bible seems to teach. So why don't we get back toward that? So... That's where the restoration movement started. <clears throat> By the way, that would be a wonderful class for some people who want to get together wants to dig. Not the surface stuff. You're going to dig in that. In that. And that would be a great class, but that's, a, that's an aside. There are different attitudes about the Bible. <clears throat> Excuse me. One of them is, it says this. We can do many things without Bible authority. And we see the religious world doing that. And Sean has written here, and I, I want to get your thoughts on it. <clears throat> well, let me back up one step. Another way of saying that is, where does the Bible say not to do it? You know, the, the Bible is not a, a naughty book. Um, if, if God wrote things not to do, the Bible would not would fill this room. He specifies what we're to do, and that by definition eliminates everything else. So tell me whether this is right or wrong, this statement. Since we do some things, it's this, this is in your book, by the way. Since we do some things without authority... We can do other things without authority. Is that a true statement? Or is that a false statement? Mm -hmm. false. false, okay. How? <coughs> okay. Is it true to say this? that if we can do some things without authority, we can do other things without authority. That's a true statement. But it's based on a false premise. You see that? 
It's based on a false premise, but it's a true statement that if you're going to do some things without authority, you can do all things without authority. That's true. Or what, where does the Bible say not to do it? Now, let me give you a little example. Uh, let's just say that I asked Drew to go into the store to get a gallon of milk, a loaf of bread, and a tomato. And he, he does that. And he comes back with a gallon of milk, a loaf of bread, a tomato, two candy bars, a pack of cookies, and some uh, ice cream. Well, as a grandson, you do whatever you want, but, <laughs> but let's just say for the sake of this, this, this argument, did he follow my instructions, my commands? Did he do that? Well, he sort of did. He sort of did. He got part of it right, but really, did he? No. Well, he didn't say, well, Grandpa, you didn't say not to do that. No, but I didn't say do it either. And a specific always overrides a generic when it comes to authority. So we can do many things without authority. That, 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 is, that, is, that is absolutely not true. What did Jesus say in Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19 at the end when we're being judged? If you add to my word... I will add this punishment to you. <clears throat> if you take away from my word, what? Then I will uh, take your name out, out, out of the book of life. Go to Hebrews, and, and Greg and I just, uh, just finished that class back there. It was a wonderful class. Go to Hebrews um, chapter 7 uh, and verse 14. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 14. I think this, is, this illustrates, and all, all the little illustrations are fine, but let's see what the Bible says in an illustration. 7 and verse 14. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, tribe of Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning the priesthood. How many tribes were there? <clears throat> 12 couldn't well maybe God should have said now uh, I want Moses I want I want uh, now don't get try don't get a, a priest from uh, Issachar Zebulun uh, you can fill in the blank don't get those he just said get them from the tribe of Levi so by definition what does that do with the others it eliminates them and God himself, when he wrote this through the Holy Spirit, says, of which tribe I told Moses nothing. I said, you get the priest from Levi, that excludes everything else. You see the point? See the idea? Uh, that's Bible authority. Speak where the Bible speaks. Be silent where the Bible is silent. There's an old book. Uh, it's probably 50, 75 years old. Don probably has it. Um, it's called The Thunderous Silence of God. I, I knew he did. Uh, the Thunderous Silence of God. God's silence speaks volumes. Speaks volumes. Some say, um, 
we don't want to be legalistic. Anytime you go to the Bible to try to, to, to prove something, you always do it with love in your heart. You're not trying to catch anybody. Uh, but when you go, well, you always, folks always go to the Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do. Well, aren't you being legalistic? Go to Matthew chapter 19 and verse 9 and see if this is legalistic. It is by today's standards. Matthew 19 and verse 9. We'll go back to verse 8. Jesus said this. Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except, one exception, for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Now, what does that mean? It means what it says. It says what it means. Well, that's narrow. Actually, it is. Well, that's legalistic. Actually, it is. Well, doesn't God want me to be happy? I've heard that recently when, when talking with people about, you know, whether second, third, fourth marriages. God wants me to be happy. Um, I didn't see that there uh, in that. He says you cannot divorce your wife except for sexual immorality or your husband. And if you do, you commit adultery. And adulterers cannot go to heaven. That sounds legalistic, and it does. It sounds narrow, and it does. But that's what it says. I didn't write it. I didn't write it. But the Bible says it. We're going to do it. We're supposed to do it. And in Matthew 5, of course, the same kind of an idea. Um, questions or thoughts on that, on either one of those things? Yes, Chad, go ahead. Uh, I just wanted to bring up Second John chapter 1. Mm-hmm. That's just what it says. Uh, uh, there's, there was, we had a series here a couple years ago, or maybe I forget who the preacher was, talked about uh, guardrails. The scriptures are our guardrails. It keeps us on the path. Um, and guardrails, by definition, are restrictive. They, they are. Uh, but Second John 9, whoever goes onward and abides not in the doctrine of Christ, how else could he have said that? Used one-syllable words instead of one and twos? I mean, it's very simple. Has not God. That's good one, Chad. Tony? Okay. So, I, I mean, is there a fine line between deviating from what you're told and going above and beyond? When authority is involved, yes. Yeah. You should not do it when authority is involved. 
because you're going above and beyond Revelation chapter 22. I, I see what you're saying now. I'm sorry I didn't understand that at first, but I'm a little slow today. But no, I see your point, Tony. No, you cannot go above and beyond what the scripture says. Yeah, no, that's good. Well, I mean, even then, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Call that the military. Okay, uh, Ryan, and then uh, Margie. Go, go ahead, Ryan. Then I'll go to Margie. Uh huh. Yeah. No, that's a good one. I like that one. Uzzah. Was Uzzah, did Uzzah have a good attitude about this ark? The ark was falling. I don't want God's ark to, to hit the grounds, so I'm going to grab it and, and touch it. And what happened to Uzzah? He was killed because God said to do, to do what with the ark? You're going to carry it quite often. Carry it with what? Poles do not touch my ark. It's holy. His attitude was right. Yeah. That, that's a real good one. Uh, Margie. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know that, that rat poison is 99.8% good food? It's that two-tenths of 1% that'll kill you. <laughs> Sharon, and then Jason, and then I'll, I'll move. Go ahead, Sharon. Uh, Okay, that, that's a good thought. Jason? I was just going to find that last thought with regard to, well, going above and beyond. God, God says in Revelation not to. That's the attitude we're taking away from. So in the secular world, yes, it might be okay sometimes. But if God says to do something, but he also says in some of his words, truth, and says, don't ask. i got to move. And that, that's where that, what applies to that. Yeah. 
I'll come back. I, I'm going to have to move to the next point, but thank you all. No, that's right. I, I appreciate all of those things. Jamal, I'll come back to you, brother. Uh, <clears throat> number three, what we are doing is working and helping us grow. Some say by today, uh, the end justifies the means. That's what that says. The end justifies the means. Now, somebody poke some holes in that religiously. Land. Noah could have made a many of boats that floated, but if he didn't use beaver wood and didn't do it like God prescribed, it would have been wrong. And you could use that throughout all the Old Testament, especially even like the tabernacle and the ark and the furniture and all that stuff. You, know, you might get the end product, but if you didn't do it, <coughs> correct process. So that's the word you're looking for. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm uh, um, uh, pretty sure that if he had used gopher wood, it would have sunk like a rock. <laughs> I'm certain of that. He said to use gopher wood. I don't know why. I don't know. Uh, let's bring it down to modern day. So we see that all the time. Um, we're going to have, we're going to raise some money to church. We're going to have a raffle. We're going to do a little gambling here because it's going to go to an orphan's home. Well, that's a, that's a, that's a good end. What about the means to get there? The Bible uh, it says we're to work with our hands. There's nothing, the word gambling is not in the Bible. Do you know that? In the New Testament, the word. So if we went on by it doesn't say not to, then we can, we can be the world's biggest gambler. But the principles are there to, to work, honest day's work, working for God. There's nothing about something for nothing. So, but if we went on that theory that the end justifies the means, we'll do whatever you want. Um, Let's, let's have some raffles. Let's have some bake sales. A lot of churches, they, they, they make their pies and they, and they do all of that. I love pie. Nothing wrong, nothing wrong with all that. But it's not how the Lord said to raise money in his church. It's not. How are we supposed to, to uh, how does God's church function today on what? Free will offerings that are a sacrifice. Me baking a pie is not a great sacrifice. Now, you can try to, in your mind, say that if you like, but you're not sacrificing anything. We have to give uh, uh, sacrificially, free will offerings. So, you know, it, it just doesn't, I mean, theoretically, if you want to take it to its ultimate, um, we could become Las Vegas and raise lots of money. With prostitution, the whole thing. They did that in the Corinthian, in Corinth early on. Over a thousand prostitutes were at the temple to raise money. End justify the means? No, it does not. It does not. What does 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 21 say? Some say, some versions say, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. Other versions say, Test all things to see what's good. Remember, Paul said uh, to, to the Romans, should we, since grace is so wonderful, maybe we should sin more so we can get more of God's grace. Uh, should we do evil that good may come? It's a rhetorical question. No, it's not. That's, that doesn't hold water, these arguments. Now, I'm going to do this one, then this is probably as far as we'll get today. This is a biggie. This is huge. Particularly among churches of Christ. 
on your second sheet. There's no difference. This is how uh, a, a lot of uh, um, churches try to get around this, that anything an individual can do, a church can do. Our liberal brethren, that's the philosophy that they go on in a lot of cases. Well, anything that the church can do, an individual can do, that the church can do. Now, we read that, Andy read that this morning in, in Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, verse 4. If someone would like to read that, it has a strong voice, read that for us, please. <clears throat> Acts chapter 5, verse 4. Talk about Ananias and Sapphira. They, I'm just give, they had land. Anything wrong with having land? Anything wrong with selling land? Anything wrong with having land, selling land, and bringing it to the apostles and say, um, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm putting this money into the common treasury to help, to help the church, the individuals that need help. Anything wrong with that? No. The, what it became wrong was when they lied. We... Sold it for so much, Peter said. Yes, that's what we did. So they wanted the glory. So there's nothing wrong with having stuff. There's nothing wrong with giving stuff. But you can't give your stuff and say, that's all I have. You're lying about it. So there's a difference between the church and an individual. Big difference. And I don't want to run out of time, so I want to go to... Um, um, 1 Timothy 5 and verse 16. I knew it was 1 Timothy 5. I want to get the verse. 1 Timothy 5 and verse 16. You want to put this one, uh, highlight this one. 1 Timothy 5 and verse 16. The difference between an individual and the church. What the church can do, individual can do, they say the church can do, which is not true. 5 and verse uh, 16. Talk about widows here. Therefore, I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage a house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. For some have already turned aside after Satan. If any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them. And do not let the church be charged so that they may relieve widows who are widows indeed who don't have families to look after them, who don't have the funds to live. Do you see the difference there? Paul does. There's a difference between what an individual can do and a, uh, a church can do. Because an individual can do it, they can do many things. That, but there's a difference. 1 Corinthians 11. Remember, there was abuse of the Lord's Supper and Paul said, some were bringing a feast to eat, and others didn't have anything. And they said, are you trying to shame these people? That if you're hungry, eat at home. And don't shame the church. Well, there must be a difference between individuals and their homes, what you can do there and what the church can do. 
He says, if you're hungry, you eat at home. Don't be eating in my building, my, in, my, in, my, in my church. If you're hungry, eat at home. And for sake of emphasis, he said it twice. Drop down about 10 verses, he said it again. Could we have a, uh, a, um, a room here where we could have a banquet room? We can afford that. It's not a matter we can't afford it. It's not a matter we can't have a piano up here. There's just no authority for it. There's no authority for it. Uh, the church cannot do what an individual uh, can do. And we look at several of these. Uh, for example, um, um, let's look real quickly at James 1.27. Now, this is Galatians 6.10. This may be all we get done this morning. I know I, I, I probably talked more than I intended to, really, but I want to get your opinions on some things here in a minute. James chapter 1. Is he talking there? When you look at the context, I've got them highlighted, and it just, it's just um, highlights all over chapter 1. Is he talking to individuals there? Or is he talking to a church entity there, church as a whole? It's individuals, if, if context means anything. Uh, he talks about... Uh, we, our, our faith will be tested. He talks about, he uses the word he and himself and we and us. And, um, but, but be doers of the word, not hearers only. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. He observes himself, uh, what kind of man he was. He who looks into the perfect law of liberty and goes on and on and on. And if anyone, in verse 26, among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, talking to church there, talking about individuals of the church, and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart and his religion is useless. Now, having done all of that, let's get down, um, James, to the last one. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this to visit the orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. <clears throat> some, some churches say that's, that's our license, that's our get-out-of-jail-free card here, that the church has a responsibility to take care <coughs> pardon me, uh, of widows and orphans in the world. Now, the church does have responsibility to take care of widows and orphans that are Christians in the local church. We do. We have, and we will. But as far as outside the world, the individual has a responsibility. We think, well, I gave on Sunday. Well, that's good. That's not enough. That's not enough. Somehow or another, we think that's all, we can, all we're, we're supposed to do. That's what we're commanded to do. But if we see people in need, we see widows and orphans, we see people in trouble. Sometimes we've got to hit the old hip here. Oh, you got personal now with some. You got personal. No, not at all. And you go to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10, similar kind of thing. I won't spend as much time on this. Then I'm going to open the floor up here. Galatians 6 and verse 10. The same thing. He, bear one another's burdens, 
for each one shall bear his own burden. God is not mocked. What a man sows. Uh, let us not grow weary. And he goes on and on till he gets to verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, who's we? As we as individuals have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Those James 1.27 and Galatians 6.10 is a great matter of, uh, it's caused a lot of division in the church of Christ. And how God's going to view that, that'll be up to God. I'm not going to condemn anybody. Um, I'm just telling you what this means, at least based on, based on my studies and others. Questions or comments? A little bit, I know, a little bit... Uh, Thoughts, questions, comments. I can just bear, oh, is that you, uh, Caitlin? Okay. No, that, that's true. As a kid growing up in Bowling Green, Kentucky, we had, there's a play, I think it's still there, it's called Potter Orphan's Home. And it was known throughout all the country. And it got to the point where they would, the, the Potter Orphan's Home got to begging money from churches to support the orphans. The orphan number started dwindling. People wanted to, because we knew the director, the executive director of Potter Orphan's Home, he's now dead. And he said, I have people calling me to adopt these children. And the board says, I can't uh, adopt them out because how are we going to raise our money? That's a fact from the executive director that told us that, a uh, member of the church a long, long time ago. So um, that's a good point. Uh, and there's somebody, uh, now, Sharon, I've already got you today. Uh, Joan, uh, uh, John? Mm -hmm. In other words, visiting your widow, uh, take care of the orphan, adopt them into your family. You see that in the certain churches of Christ. You don't see that in the little churches of Christ at all. Because they okay. Have so, oh, no, you're right, John. Lack of personal responsibility that they don't think they need to. They're good to take care of Is there anything wrong with orphans' homes? Absolutely not. Is there anything uh, in Elizabethtown, Kentucky, where we live there, the, the church started a, uh, down the road there, started a home for unwed mothers. Is there anything wrong with homes for unwed mothers? No. Is there anything wrong with recreation? Absolutely not. And as individuals, we can support all those things, and many of us do. Where it becomes wrong is there's no scripture for the church to take money out of its treasury to support these 
Uh, is there anything wrong with the Red Cross? Some, some churches give to the Red Cross. The Red Cross is a wonderful organization. We give to it. I can't take it out of the church treasury to do that. There's no authority for it. James. Right. Now, I know this is not popular. It's not. But Jesus wasn't, at times, overly popular. His apostles were not real popular. But popularity has nothing to do with it. If we're going to be judged by this, and we are, then we better follow it, speak where the Bible speaks, be silent where the Bible is silent, call Bible things by Bible names, and do Bible things in Bible ways. That's, that's what we believe here. And that's what we try our best to practice here. Radical, maybe by the worldly standards, that's pretty radical, but that's, that's what the scriptures teach. I'm going to make an exception, Sharon, give you twice today. Go ahead. True. That, that, that's absolutely true. Uh, most of my family do not believe this. When the big split started back in the 50s, they don't believe this. I just found, and it's a really good point, Sharon. Sometimes we salve our conscience by giving a little money to that and say, aren't we wonderful? Well, you didn't do anything. You just gave them a little money. You didn't have to do anything. With this, it's on us to do these things, to take care of our own. And sometimes it costs money and it costs your time and it costs whatever versus just giving to something and walking away and say, boy, what a good boy am I. There's more personal responsibility. Perfectly said, Sharon. You said it about 30 seconds there, what I've been trying to say for 40 minutes. But thank you. Yes, you're right, 100%. Lisa. Is yeah, the glory's to God. It's not to us. Look at us; we're nothing, just a worm trying to do God's work. That's all I am. No glory to me. God gets the glory. Jamal, did you want to? We got a minute. Do you want to say something? Yeah. And he also said that the dead bury the dead. So all these different authorities that Jesus came to us 
supposed to know this because you're supposed to have, have uh, <coughs> uh, authority. You're supposed not authority. You're supposed to have maturity as we read the scriptures and mature in the scriptures. So when it comes at uh, we're supposed to have a piano or we're supposed to know better. That's how God looks at you. You already you're supposed to know better. That's just the bottom line. Now, uh, Sean will do on Wednesday night. Authority is no re uh, really a big deal. God did not give us a pattern of all things, and good luck on that one because the Bible is very clear about the pattern, but I'm not going to get into all that today. Um, we got about two minutes. Anybody else got anything to say? Gary, and then I'll come to you, Kevin. Yeah, yeah. It's not a buffet line. Truth is not a buffet line. I'll take this and this, and I'll take, they don't like that. I mean, Thomas Jefferson, you've heard of the Jefferson Bible. He actually tore out some pages he didn't like out of his Bible as if that's going to make it go away. Um, it's not a buffet line. We either take it all or let's just go fishing and forget it all. You can't, it's not a cherry picker's paradise. You can't do that. The Bible's very clear about that. Um, Kevin and then Chad, when we'll stop. Go ahead, Kevin. Okay. Okay. Chad? One of the most popular uh, misconceptions about Bible authority now is that the church continued to develop throughout the years and that Jesus was making the church grow up during this time. That the, the Bible talks about the church as a primitive seed, but as the church matured, Jesus was guiding it the whole way and that the truth comes from you know, the development of the church and that authority comes. No, that's, that's true, and <clears throat> I, I suspect you've seen this or heard this. Once you crack a door a little bit, that door eventually will be kicked down. I remember when I was eight or nine years old, before, the, when the, before that church split, they were taping dollar bills under uh, chairs during vacation Bible school to get the kids to come. So what's the first thing we did? Man, we went to grab it for those dollar bills. Then they, they brought a Coke machine inside. I thought that was wonderful. As an eight or nine-year-old, I love Cokes. Well, that's how it started. The church is unrecognizable today because once you crack the door of authority, 
a little bit. That door, it's going to, you, the genie's out of the bottle. You're not going to close that door back. It's impossible. I'll give you one quick example. In 1906, the um, Christian church, or prior to that, the Christian church and the Church of Christ were one. Started about 1880s, 90s, but anyway, it became official in the 1906 census. At that time, there were three times the number of, four times actually, uh, Christian churches as there were churches of Christ. And they had three times the, the amount of people. And, and that's when they went off with everything. The instrumental music, women preachers, the whole thing. In this 2000 census, the Church of Christ has two and a half times more um, churches than, than the uh, Christian church and more than double the membership. Now, that's not doesn't matter one way or the other. But once you start down that road, there's no end. It does not end well for you religiously because people see through it. If I'm looking for recreation, I'll go join a club somewhere. They do a better job than a church would anyway. That's not the business we're in. Sorry, it's just not. Um, okay, one more. So just Google Lord's Supper as Yes, and about when Ruth Stemple was still alive. We used to pick her up and bring her to church quite a bit. There's a Christian church not far from there, and they, were, they had dog blessing or pet blessing Sundays. We had to drive back to see if we saw this. Now, <laughs> you bring your pets in, and the female preacher was going to bless your pet. Now, 116 years ago, we were the same church. We're down to blessing pets now. You kick the door open, you open it, and that's where you're going. If not, why not? You gotta, we got to stay strict with, with what the Bible says. Huh? It's just not authorized. People look at you sometimes and they go, well, dude, I didn't, sir, I didn't write this. I can only read it and try to go by it. I didn't write it. If I'd have written it, I'd have written it. A lot more open, maybe. But I didn't write it, so we're going to go by it. Thank you. I, I know that's... Thank you.